Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we, together as a team, have written 35 cookbooks. The latest published is Instant Pot Bible Copycat Recipes. You can make your own favorite restaurant copycats at home in our favorite appliance, the Instant Pot Pressure Cooker. But none of that has anything to do with (laughs) the episode today, which is all about foods that hardly spoil or take a long time to spoil. A great interview coming up, our fabulous one-minute cooking tip, and what's making us happy in food today. So let's start it out. So, you know, Mark and I are always talking about clearing out your old spices and checking your oil to make sure it's not rancid and even rooting out old meat from your freezer because even frozen meat can go bad yeah. over time. Well, let's say something about that because I think a lot of people don't know that, that there's, a, there's an expiration life of food even in a freezer. There are, and it's about a year if you have a deep freeze. And it's about six months, actually, if you have a self-frosting freezer. Yeah. So if you have a a self-defrosting refrigerator freezer, just you need to be certain that the meat in there is being rotated in and out. Yes, buy things on sale. Yes, store it up. But you can't keep a frozen chicken in there for three years. No, eat it. it, No, no. Because in order to defrost, the freezer comes up in temperature and then drops back down. It comes up to melt any ice building up and then comes back down. So that constant thawing and freezing action actually does no good for the meat stored in there. So be careful. Um, Clean out your freezer. And, you know, we've even talked about expiration dates on packaging and the differences between the best buy date and expires buy. But what we rarely talk about are some of the staples you can keep nearly indefinitely in your pantry. Now, not all of these you can keep for forever. So we want to be careful about saying that and make sure that you understand that we're not going to keep forever, but that that lasts a good, good, long, long time. And what's the first one? The first one is honey. And, you know, honey has been used for wound care in Mm. some cultures around Mm. the world. It's a big part of Eastern medicine practices. And why is that? Well, because it resists bacteria naturally with its low moisture level and high acidity. What else would you expect from bees? barf. <laughs> Bee barf naturally resists all kinds of bacteria. And it, as Bruce says, it's very actually low moisture. It is actually an acid product. In fact, oh, here's a really th- functionality of my getting older. I find that if I put honey on my oatmeal and not maple syrup, I have acid reflux more quickly later uh, in the TMI. morning. I know it's TMI, but it is a, it is a kind of problem with the acidity. But the, it, Bruce is right. It will last indefinitely. However, we've talked to you about this already. It will crystallize over time. Almost all varieties, except gallberry, and maybe there are a few others I don't know about, that will crystallize. And we've talked about how to do that in other episodes. Just really quickly put your jar of honey covered in a pot, pour boiling water over it, let it sit till the water's cool. The honey should reliquify, repeat as needed. Well, or you can do what the bees do. You can sit on top of your jar of honey and beat your wings all day long, <laughs> and then your honey won't crystallize <laughs> in any way. So, see, there are ways around this. But the honey does last a good long time. So, the point of this whole exercise is to say buy better honey because it will last. You don't have to cheap out on honey. You know, you don't have to go insane, but to buy better honey because it will last in your pantry a very long time. It's a great cooking additive it's a great natural sweetener it's oh use it instead of jam you know and on your toast in the morning um it's 
really a lovely thing. And you can get honey that has wonderful flavors without being flavored. Like orange blossom honey tastes like orange trees smell without adding any additional stuff. Right. You know, the same thing about pine tree honey and chestnut honey and Honey, Every honey, honey in a pecan pie mm. is a delicious thing. Well, instead of corn syrup. Okay, so mm. our second thing up of things that you can keep in your pantry indefinitely, not for necessarily forever, but indefinitely, is vinegar. And this kind of makes sense because vinegar is used as a preservative in a lot of other foods. So mm. it kind of makes sense that vinegar will be one of those things you don't have to go, oh my gosh, get rid of this instantly. <laughs> now, there is an exception to this, but why don't we talk about vinegar first? Okay, so according to the group Eat by Date, and that's a great um, a great source if you're looking what? for how long can things. There's a group. What group? There's eat a by group date. called yeah. Eat Just by Google Date. Them and you'll get to their website. They could tell you how long things last. 440 <laughs> West 23rd Street, Apartment 3G. Send check or money order today to Eat by Date. That's re- really seriously. There and is a there is a group. Okay, and fine. According to them, white balsamic, balsamic wine vinegars, cider vinegars, and rice vinegars. They don't have expiration dates on them because they don't need them. There is an exception to this, and some people claim that vinegars that have the mother. Oh, now the, you have to explain what that and is. Well, well, the, basically, basically the culture that starts the vinegar. I mean, that's too simple to say, but basically, let's just say the culture that starts the vinegar. You you can see it. It's, these bottles are sold with vinegar with the mother. It's a cloudy substance that kind of floats around, kind of slimy, cloudy substance that floats around inside the vinegar. They, there are uh, claims that that can go bad over time. So, and when I'm saying over time, we're talking three years, four years, uh, you know, we're talking a long time. But still, nonetheless, um, vinegars with a mother are probably less safe to keep forever, but you can keep them a long time. So, again, let me say one more time, it's going to become a repetitive refrain, but up your vinegar game. Because, honestly, you can spend a little more on white balsamic vinegar or on a really good apple cider vinegar. Yes, there are differences among them. Uh, absolutely. Some taste like nothing, and some actually do taste like apple cider. So you can ch- you can check the differences among them and actually up your game just a little bit because you can keep it for a good long time in a pantry. What's the next thing, Mark? It's, well... Everybody knows this one. Salt. I mean, doesn't after- go there. Think about the big salt flats out wherever they are. After They've all, been there for millennia. It's true. If you live in a very humid climate like Florida and your house is not air conditioned, God help your mortal soul. But if you live in a very humid climate like Florida and your house is not air conditioned, your salt can eventually go bad because moisture can ultimately collect in salt. And there are some few salt molds that will mm-hmm. actually grow in that moisture, but they are rare. They rare. Are rare. For most of us who live in normal houses in normal places or normal apartments in normal places, salt will basically stay forever. I've seen a lot of salt shakers when we've traveled around in humid climates where there's like rice grains in the salt and people put the rice in to absorb some of the moisture so the salt doesn't clump together and that will help a little bit with that. But salt is almost an indefinite thing. So you buy the five and 10 pound boxes, you're clearly not gonna use 10 pounds on your french fries. So what do you do with all that extra salt? Well, you can do a lot of things. Uh, Cooking Light recommends that you actually put an eighth of a teaspoon of salt in your coffee grinds to reduce the bitterness. I will never, ever, 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 <laughs> ever, ever, coffee. ever do this because I buy better coffee <laughs> beans and we grind our own. So I will never, ever, ever do this. But let me, can I go back to that rice thing yeah, in the salt sure. shaker? 
Uh, it was to prevent clumping, right? Don't mm-hmm. I remember this yeah, right? Yeah, that was when that it started. Was, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we were kids, so and it started to be you go to the diner or yeah. a restaurant, and the, there would be rice, and they're just to stop the clumping, and the rice would always turn gross brown over time, and it always struck me as the dumbest thing. Or you'd get those salt shakers that were just mostly rice grains with a little bit of salt, and you couldn't get any salt out of them. I never got it. I never understood why. Uh, I guess that reduces clumping in humid climates. I mean, there wasn't a lot of air conditioning around when I was a kid, so maybe that's part of it. But I, remember sure. that salt brand that there, I forget the brand name, it's the girl with the umbrella and it's yeah, raining salt. Morton's. It was at Morton's. When and it rains, it pours because they put something in the salt to keep it from clumping when it's humid. Yeah. So that's all you got to do. Oh, and the whole iodine insanity. But well, you don't want to goiter. Do you want to goiter? Uh, you know what? You need trace amounts of iodine to avoid a goiter, and you don't need it in your salt. So just eat a well-balanced diet, and you'll be fine. So anyway, do go on. That <laughs> well, iodine other things, thing is insane. Well, if you have the 10-pound box of salt in your pantry, you could chill beers and Cokes faster by adding a handful of salt to a bowl of ice because it right. drops the temp below freezing point. Remember about freezing ice cream. If you're as old as I am, you remember putting rock salt on the ice in the hand crank churner. I know. I'm really old. If you're as old as I am. And we tied cr- an onion to our belt, which was a style at the time. <laughs> we did, and we cranked our ice cream. And we put salt on the ice in order to get to drop the freezing point and to make it even colder than ice normally is because salt does these things. Salt's also a natural abrasive, and it makes yeah. cleaning pots and pans easier. Yeah. Great for scrubbing cutting boards because it also acts like a sanitizer. It does. Uh, I, I, I use salt in our, uh, what am I saying, our cast iron pots all the time, yeah. our cast iron pans, because I pour a little salt in there, and then I rub the salt around with a lot of paper towels, and then I wash it out, and the salt is a natural sanitizer, and also an abrasive, and a cleaner, and yada, yada, all these fabulous things that salt actually does for us. Okay, so salt uh, is one of those things that you can keep for indefinite amounts of time in your pantry. What else? You can also keep dried beans and legumes almost, almost indefinitely. Yeah, and when this, I say indefinitely, a, a I mean indefinitely is three to four years in my pantry. But the caveat is the longer you have them, the longer they may take to cook and soften. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, we, we had a friend actually who made a bean soup once and she used beans out of her pantry that were quite old. And it, uh, she put it in a slow cooker. And as, as I recall the story, the slow cooker went for like two days before the beans were finally softened. This is the problem of old beans. And this is the problem of beans actually in supermarkets where there's not a great turnover. Mm-hmm. Because beans sit on the shelf a long, long mm-hmm. time because they don't necessarily go bad. And the longer they sit, the more moisture they lose, which means the more longer they can sit, the more longer they can sit because they've lost more moisture, which means they're almost impossible to cook. And the older they are, they do start to lose some of their nutritious value. Um, It's not the fiber as much as the vitamin content, because vitamins do degrade over time. So yeah. like at about the five-year mark, even yeah. if you can get them soft enough to eat, there's not going to be much nutritious content left. Now, we want to talk about something next up, the fifth thing up, that is something that people do keep indefinitely, and they know about keeping it indefinitely, but there's actually a ton of caveats here, and that is distilled spirits. Now, I know 
that you probably have a bottle of something in a cupboard <laughs> somewhere that someone gave you when you were, I don't know, one on your birth. Oh, I like giving that one-year-old a bottle of scotch. Here's a bottle of scotch to start your life. And you still have that thing <laughs> And you know what? It actually doesn't keep indefinitely. Clear spirits like vodkas that are super distilled, and we're talking like triple distilled vodkas, will keep essentially indefinitely. Okay, explain why the triple distilled does that. It's because you're removing more and more and more of the particulate and the flavor esters and, the and all the impurities out of the vodka the more times you distill it. Clear spirits, even gins, will last a good long long time but darker spirits are a little more problematic and here's the problem with them they're dark because they've sat in charred wood barrels for one year two years 10 years 20 years they absorb all these materials the resins and the flavors from the wood well those are the things in the booze that can actually over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in a bottle really start to make it go wanky. So if you have a 15-year-old bottle of, I don't know, Langevin or some great scotch in your pantry, here's my thing, and you've had it for a decade, well... Drink it up. Drink it. Or it's not <laughs> It's not even going to taste like what it's supposed to taste like, but drink it. Get rid of it. There's no reason to keep that bottle. But spirits do stay a good long time. You just need to know that these don't stay forever, but they do stay a good long time, especially the clearer spirits. Okay, the next thing we need to talk about is soy sauce. Okay, it seems obvious that this lasts a long time. It is aged. It is fermented. Here's the trick. When you open it, keep it in your fridge. It'll last you through the next pandemic. <laughs> it will last a long time. And then part of that is the saltiness of it. Even though soy sauce has all kinds of particulate and impurities in it from beans and all that kind of stuff, even though that's the truth, it still will stay along because it's just so super salty. It's, it's like it's been preserved in a salt block. Now, again, I want to say that certain other kinds of, we're just talking about basic standard soy sauce. I think certain other kinds of soy sauce, like mushroom soy sauce, if you're going to get super fancy, other kinds of soy sauce and the sugary, sugary, thick soy sauces, we're getting super fancy again. Those don't necessarily last indefinitely. No, those are more like condiments, especially the super sweet ones. I, I treat that like ketchup. I mean, and let me tell you, we prob we go through a lot of ketchup, so it doesn't stay as long. But I know some people keep ketchup in their refrigerator for years no. and continue to eat it. You shouldn't. No, it's you, not an indefinite thing. You shouldn't. Thing. Even if it doesn't look moldy, you shouldn't eat it yeah, I mean, forever. The, the, I mean, despite our discussion about honey, the basic rule here is sugar is something that actually is not a preservative <laughs> in most cases. So if it's sugary like ketchup, just be careful of it. You know what it a dollar twenty nine? How much is ketchup? I don't even know. Okay, three and a half bucks a bottle. Oh my gosh! Look how old I am. <laughs> oh, ketchup sixty nine. You've been cents. watching too many old reruns of the of the Price is Right. No, I have not been watching reruns of the Price is Right. I've been watching reruns of what? Let's make a deal. I have. Oh my gosh! This is embarrassing to admit, but I have actually finished my workday, finished writing, finished my podcast, walking with Dante, finished reading for all the classes that I teach, and I've gone upstairs and sat in a chair and watched an episode of Let's Make Wait, a Deal. I sat in a chair. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's so old. And I've actually like, watched episodes on YouTube of Let's Make a Deal from the 1970s. Please don't ask me why I'm doing this. It's insane. It's because I'm drinking bad 
old scotch that's gone <laughs> rancid and has fermented my brain. So what's okay. the last thing? Mark? The last thing is white rice, and we want to make big caveats here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not talking about brown rice. We're mm-hmm. not talking about whole grain rices. We're not even talking about fancy Korean rices. We're not talking about Haiga rice. No, we're not that, talking about any of that. What stuff. is Haiga rice? Haiga rice is rice without the bran, but it still has the germ. Right. So it's lots of flavor, but it means it has the oil, and the oil can go rancid. So it must be white rice without the bran, without the germ. Now, according to another group called Still Tasty, oh, four forty above it for F. They say that plain white jasmine and basmati rice all have an indefinite shelf life. But again, you may find it take a little longer to cook the older it is. It is. It, it takes, I find it takes older rice really a long time to cook. White rice is super polished and super processed, and it doesn't have much in it that can go bad. I mean, over time, the, the problem with it is it's going to lose shelf moisture. No, wait. The problem with it is it's going to lose moisture on the shelf. The shelf doesn't lose moisture. <laughs> Some right? do, and then they crack and bend and oh, break, and then Lord. you have a mess. Oh, Lord. You know, this, now you're touching my fear, because I have this fear... It's totally irrational, and it happens while I'm watching Let's Make a Deal. And it's that our our shelves in our kitchen are going to fall off the walls. It's You've a been thing. worrying about that for the 15 years we've lived in this house. I know, and it's my thing. I believe one day the shelves are just going to all fall off the walls and come right <laughs> off the walls. And I have no explanation for this. I feel like a James Thurber cartoon. Remember that old... James Thurber, now I'm really old, aren't I? Remember that old James Thurber thing where it's like his aunt believed that electricity was leaking out of every outlet in the house and she wouldn't allow electricity in her house? Well, that's kind of what I feel. Wow. I Okay, I'm talking about let's make a deal and James Thurber. And, uh, when nobody I, knows who you're talking about. When I drove around in a Model T and voted okay, for Hoover. Nobody knows what a Model T is or who Hoover was. Oh. Uh, when I was a child, this is how old I am. When I was a child, how old are you? There was a Model A in my great grandparents' barn. That's how old I am. It didn't run, but it still sat in my great grandparents' barn. There was a Model A car. Oh my gosh, I'm old. All right, so enough with that. I apparently last indefinitely too, and have a shelf life of a billion years, given that I talk about these things. But these are some of the foods that you can keep in your pantry forever. And we just want to say that not everything goes bad really quickly. So up next, our segment two. But before we get to that, we want to ask you if you would please rate our podcast and give it a good five star. Sure. <laughs> can I ask for that? A good yeah. five star rating. Beg, we beg for or it. Or what can you do? Or you can go to our Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and you can join that group. And we have questions and pictures and conversations about food, and it's a lot of fun. So come to Facebook and join Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Now let's get to segment two, our one-minute cooking tip. Okay, what is it, Mark? Okay, this is the deal. Everybody's cracked an egg into a bowl and gotten a little bit of shell in there. And it's sometimes a pain to get out. If you've ever tried to get shell out of egg in a bowl with a spoon, you know it just keeps slipping off the spoon no matter how hard you try. So what's the solution? To wet your finger. And then when you stick your wet finger into there. Wet your cleaned finger. Okay. Wet your cleaned finger. When you you stick your finger in there, 
all of a sudden that piece of eggshell will not run away from you. You can actually press your finger right onto it and pull it up the side of the bowl. Now, here's our caveat, and we got another caveat, is that if you're making meringue and you're using only egg whites or you're beating egg whites until they're stiff or until they're foamy or whatever, you can't do this because you can't get water in egg whites. They won't actually cohere as well, and they mm -hmm. won't turn into a high, fluffy meringue. So this doesn't work if you're just working with egg whites for meringue. But otherwise, if you're putting eggs in a bowl to make scrambled eggs, let's say, just wet your finger and pull the shell out. Okay, up next in segment three of our podcast, Bruce's interview with Sophie Minkeely. She is the author of The Sweetness of Doing Nothing. I have no clue what that means since I am the busy bee of all busy bees and I have no clue about what doing nothing actually means. Farniente. But, dolce farniente. Yeah, dolce farniente. But anyway, we should take the tips from Sophie Minkili. So here's the interview. I am so excited today to be speaking with Sophie Minkili, born and raised on the cobblestone alleys of Rome. Sophie runs food tours all over Italy where she takes people behind the scenes of Italian life into the homes of locals. And her amazing, beautiful new book is called The Sweetness of Doing Nothing in Italian Dolce Farniente. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Let me start off by asking you to explain the concept of Dolce Farniente or the sweetness of doing nothing. And what does that mean in Italian culture? So it literally translates, so sweetness of doing nothing translates to dolce far niente. It's the literal translation. And while it literally means doing nothing, it's actually a way of life. It's the way Italians live. And it's basically enjoying the moment, living each day as if it's the last, enjoying the small things, and taking life slowly. So you're not actually doing nothing. You're actually doing a lot. And it's even though it's like reading a book for an hour in the sun. So it seems like you're doing nothing, but you're actually recharging your batteries to do something maybe more productive later on. In your book, you have suggestions for us to incorporate this dolce far niente, this sweetness of doing nothing, this Italian way of life into our lives. And I love the very first one you offer. Eat more pasta. <laughs> Talk about that for me. Yeah, that's that's my thing, my personal thing. So the people that know me know that I have an obsession for pasta. And that is also true for most Italians. Most Italians do eat pasta every day for lunch, usually. And I feel like that incorporates well with the dolce far niente because Italians really do make the effort to take a long lunch break every day. So it's either going to a restaurant or to a coffee bar or back home and cooking pasta, which for most people seems like this really hard, difficult, long thing, but it's not. Like you can make a plate of pasta and eat it and chat with a friend or family member all in 30 minutes. I think the key thing that I heard right there is make the pasta and chat with a family member. It's about sharing, isn't it? Always, yes. And um, in Italy, you'll notice people are always with someone else. So you meet a friend for coffee, you meet your family for Sunday lunch, you eat lunch with your co-worker. Being social is a huge part of the Italian way of living. So aside from reading that book, 
in the sun by yourself, almost all the other activities that make life so sweet are done with people. Yes. It's a mixture of things on your own and things with people, but it's mostly activities with other people. So aside from eating more pasta and sharing a meal with someone you love, what are some other ways that we can bring some of this Italian sweetness of doing nothing into our lives? So I've actually divided the book in three different chapters. So one is food, of course, the other is leisure, and the other one is family and friends. So when it comes to food, for example, um, I feel like in today's world, we're always rushed. Like, oh, I don't have time to cook. I don't have time to sit down and eat. And something I talk about in my book is that we should make time for, for doing that. Um, it can be small things. Also, eating with the seasons is something I mentioned. Like, if you think about it, when we were kids, we would wait all year for those summer tomatoes or the strawberries in the spring. And now we're just so used to having anything we want year round that maybe we should go back to the way it was and have more patience and take it slow and wait for the good stuff to come. You say good stuff. And I agree with you because you might be able to get tomatoes all year round, but they're not good unless they're in season. The strawberries are not good unless they're in season. The cherries are not good unless they're in season. Yeah, they taste nothing. Like a tomato bought in a supermarket in the dead of winter tastes nothing like one in the summer. It's two different things. So food is one of the categories in your book. But for a lot of people, especially in the United States, food brings stress. So can you give us some tips for using food to bring happiness instead of bringing stress? I think... People feel like cooking is a lot harder than it actually is. Like, I know it can be difficult for some people, but I guess just think of the things you like and you have to play around with them. And then you'll slowly figure out what works for you. But like I was saying, the pasta, if you use, if you want to make yourself a plate of pasta, simple plate of pasta with vegetables, it really doesn't take more than 15 minutes. Um, if you don't like pasta, you want to, you can roast some vegetables in the oven, some seasonal vegetables that takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. You just have to work around and figure out what works for you. But cooking at home, shopping for food, it can all become part of your routine, slow you down, make you realize you actually do have time to cook and eat good food and shop for good food. Shopping is another thing that I think, especially for Americans, causes stress. And it's something that they don't look forward to. Yet you talk about shopping being such a joyful experience in Italy. How can we bring some of that joyfulness to our shopping here? Of course, I realize it's also a cultural thing. So the way we shop in Italy just looks different than it looks in the States. Um, like in a city like Rome, where the roads are small and we're living so close to each other, there aren't these huge supermarkets. Our apartments are tiny, so we can't do a huge shop for the whole week. So the way I still shop, and that's the way I grew up, is every day I go and buy what I need for that specific day. Because literally nothing more than that will fit in my fridge. <laughs> it's tiny. <laughs> um, but I know that in, so in some parts of the States, obviously, it's harder. Like A lot of people live very isolated, and all they have is big supermarkets. But in that case, maybe try and find the supermarket that does carry seasonal things or local things or farms near you, maybe, and start a relationship with the farmer. 
in bigger cities, I know they do farm shares and that sort of thing. So I think just reconnecting with the people, the earth, traditions, like what our grandparents used to do or the way it used to be. I've heard in other interviews, you talk about red pizza and you explain how red pizza almost represents a way of life in Italy. Can you talk about that for me? Yes. So pizza rossa, which literally translates to red pizza. So it's actually a really typical snack from Rome. So you won't find it all over Italy, but it's something we grow up with in Rome. And it's very simple, like most Italian food. So it's a pizza base with only tomato sauce and olive oil on top. And it's something we have as a snack, like mid-morning or mid-afternoon here in Rome. Or one of my earliest memories is as we were walking to school, we would stop at the bakery, get a piece, and they would wrap it up for us and we would bring it to school. And I just, Pizza Rosa represents my childhood. So that's one of the reasons why I love it, but also just how simple and good something can be. All you need is two good ingredients and you have something amazing. So you highlight a few recipes in your book that you describe, and I certainly see as Italian comfort food, carbonara, the number one, I think it is the number one comfort food. In the US, it's an adulterated dish. It's basically Alfredo sauce with bacon. Tell me about real Italian carbonara and why it's so good, yet so simple. So I actually made it, I think I made it last night. It's something I make a lot. It's very simple. And all you need is pasta. We use dry pasta, so never fresh pasta. The fresh pasta has eggs in it, so it would just be too much egg on egg, too heavy. So you need dry pasta. Then the pork aspect of the pasta is called guanciale, which is the cheek of the pig. But if I know that's hard to find in the States, so if you can't find good guanciale, use pancetta, which is bacon. Unsmoked and cured. But I know it's like you can find it in some specialty Italian stores and pancetta is much easier to find than guanciale. And then you're going to need eggs, good, fresh eggs. So a friend of mine brought me eggs from a farmer yesterday. That's why I decided to make carbonara. Eggs are the main ingredient. They have to be good. And then grated cheese. So traditionally, we use pecorino romano. So it's a sheep's milk cheese. It's very salty. I like to mix a bit of pecorino with a little parmigiano. Uh, it just, it's more subtle, the saltiness. And then did I say black pepper? Black pepper. And that's it. Talk me through the steps because so many people, when they try the traditional carbonara without cream, their eggs scramble. How do you do this without having scrambled eggs on spaghetti? Mm. So in a pan, you cook the guanciale cut in strips with no olive oil because it has enough fat in it. And it'll release all of that fat in the pan. Once it starts, starts to crisp up, you turn off the heat. Then in a separate pot, you boil the water and add the pasta. While the pasta is cooking, grab a small, small bowl. And in that bowl, you add the yolks. So I only use the yolks. That's a trick. <laughs> that doesn't make them scramble. And to those yolks, add the grated cheese, a lot of it, and the black pepper. And then you mix it all up until it becomes a very thick paste. It almost looks wrong. It has to be very, very thick. And then once the pasta is done, you drain it and add it to that pan with the guanciale. So you coat it in the fat. 
and the fire has to be off. So the trick to not scramble your eggs is it doesn't have to be on the heat. So the fire is off. So you let it coat in that fat, and then you add that um, paste of eggs and cheese, mix it very quickly so it won't scramble, and that's it. You'll, you'll notice it'll be really creamy and silky. Sophie Minkili, thank you so much for your new book, The Sweetness of Doing Nothing, and thank you for sharing that carbonara recipe and all your tips for how we can make our lives more sweet and beautiful here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Okay, that was enlightening. I'm not sure that I'm still not going to be the busy bee who does everything in every second of my day. <laughs> but maybe I can aspire to do nothing. Maybe watching Let's Make a Deal is doing nothing or riding around a Model A is doing well, nothing. Well, if you do it with friends and family and you're If eating... I ride around in a Model A with friends and yeah, family? Yeah, well, that's part of doing nothing. That's what makes it sweet. And also, <laughs> if you ride around that Model A, according to her eating pasta with friends, well, there you are. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, well. I come from a German immigrant family, so we would ride around in our Model A eating potatoes. So <laughs> there we go. Oh, man, that's just sad. Our last segment of our podcast, getting out of all of that, is what's making us happy in food this week. And I'm going to start with what's making me happy in food this week, as we always talk about at the end of the podcast. And for me, it is cranberries from the freezer. Um, Bruce, laugh. is, Bruce is laughing because he knows I become a mad, insane person in the fall when cranberries Wait, come into the market. Fall, you're a man riding around in my Model E, a watching. Let's make a deal of drinking potatoes. old scotch and eating potatoes. Yes, I become a mad person in the fall because cranberries come fresh into the supermarkets and they don't actually stay there all year long, fresh in the supermarkets. And I become a crazy person because I want Bruce to buy a hundred thousand bags of cranberries because you can just throw them in the freezer and have them all year. And I love cranberries like insane in my model a love cranberries <laughs> and you could take them right from the freezer and throw them into cake batters and pancake batters uh we had friends over for this dinner week? this weekend for indian food and i took a bag out and i made a cranberry chutney mm. to go with some mm. curried chicken samosas that mm. i made mm. so i wouldn't if you have been saw my to... facebook feed you saw pictures of it and if i didn't have the cranberries in the freezer i couldn't have done that yeah i love cranberries more than i can say i love cranberry bread i love cranberry bunt cakes. I love cranberry mm. chutney. Mm. I like cranberries actually thrown into beef stews. I like mm. cranberries. And so in the fall, we stock up because Mark goes into an insane tirade that we have to stock up and they're in the freezer and it's a fabulous thing. Okay, what's making you happy in food this week? Sumo mandarins. It is that time of year again. It is... Isn't that the senator from Arizona? <laughs> sumo no, or that's something? Satsuma. Oh, Satsuma. Yeah, that's that senator from Arizona. No, he's a sumo S-U-M they're big, fat, heavy, wrinkly skinned with a little knob on the top. Mandarins, they started out in Japan. They are big, growing. fat, wrinkly with a knob on the top. It sounds like my great grandmother who had that <laughs> Model A in her garage. Okay, go on. And this, they grow in California now, and supermarkets have special displays of them. They are not cheap. They're usually about. At our regular supermarket, about two ninety nine a pound. They're if you go expensive. to Whole Foods, they're like four ninety nine a pound. They're expensive. Um, but I love them. They are sweet. They are tangy. I wait all year for the sumo 
shows. They are in now. They will be in until the end of March. So I will be eating my fill of sumos. Yeah, they are really delicious, and they are really sweet and tasty. And now we're going to see my type A personality come out in its full extent. They peel really well. Oh, and there's no seeds, (laughs) and the the membranes are thin. Oh, God, Because I don't have to get all obsessive about peeling them. So the peel just kind of slips right (laughs) I love sumo. And it's great for the people to slip off as they worry about the cabinets coming off of our walls. Okay, so there you go. There's our show. It involved Model A's and cabinets coming off the wall and let's make a deal and foods that don't go bad and one-minute cooking tips and Sophie Minkeely and what's making us happy in food this week. I mean, seriously, how much can you ask from one podcast? Well, we can ask you to please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. Wherever you get your podcast, just hit subscribe and please leave a rating if it allows it. Give us five stars. Leave a little note and join our group on Facebook. And we will see you next time on Cooking with Bruce and Mark.